today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. The birth control pill in general, any birth control pill, depletes a lot of vitamins, minerals, and nutrients in our body. It's like a multivitamin's worth. It's like most all the B vitamins, most all of your minerals. So if you pick up the birth control pill or you're on it right now of any kind, and you're not on some sort of multivitamin or B-complex or something, it is something to consider. Talk to your pharmacist about when you go get that refill. Talk to your practitioner when you go back in like, hey, you know what? I've heard the pill can deplete a lot of things. Is that true? And should I be on a multi? Because it's very true. They put it in their white paper, published and stuff. And it's just that information doesn't always get told. Well, hello there. I'm Dr. Kate Henry, and today we're bringing you a special episode. In a moment, Dr. Carrie Jones will be joining me to talk about a major update in U.S. healthcare. In case you hadn't heard, a few days ago, the FDA approved the first ever over-the-counter birth control pill, which will be available nationwide in 2024. That's right. You heard that right. The -the over-the-counter birth control pill is coming to grocery stores and pharmacies near you, and you will not need a prescription to get it. But what does that mean for you and your loved ones? Who can take the O-pill safely and who definitely shouldn't? What are the risks and what are the benefits? What's the one thing someone could do by accident that might make this form of birth control completely ineffective? We cover this and more on today's episode. We're also gonna arm you with the information you'll need to feel comfortable talking about the O-pill with your kids and teens. Look, they're likely to run into this information on their own through the news or hear about it through their peers. And we want you to feel comfortable having a conversation with them that's based on facts and that feels really empowering. So by the end of today's talk, you'll feel armed with the complete info about this major change in healthcare and ready to tackle all the possibilities and issues that might come with it. Before we get started, I wanna talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that of course is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. If you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, Chances are you're placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 30 different labs in one single place for free. Thank goodness. No need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. If you're a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create your free account today. While you're there, you can also try out our latest tools like the meal plan generator and lab shops, which make practicing functional medicine easier than ever. So cool. Now let's start the show. Dr. Carrie Jones, thank you so much for being here to talk with us about the O-Pill. Oh my gosh, this is big news, isn't it? I am really excited to break it down. Me too. So for those of you who don't know, for the first time ever next year, you're going to be able to get birth control over the counter in a form called the O-pill. Dr. Carey, can you tell us why this is such a big deal? Honestly, other than barrier method, we don't have other options over the counter to get any form of birth control. So we haven't been able to walk into your typical pharmacy or your grocery store with the pharmacy and request the birth control pill. We've always had to go through some sort of physician's office, doctor's office, clinic of some sort, even if you went to a clinic where they gave you the birth control for free, you still had to make an appointment, go in and get evaluated, and then they gave you the pack. Whereas here, it'll be a little bit like, oh, I'm out of ibuprofen. I'm going to run to the pharmacy and pick up ibuprofen. It will likely be a little more secure than that. In some cases, for example, in some states where Sudafed is available over the counter, 
not all states, but a lot of states, you still have to request it from the pharmacy. You have to go up to the pharmacy counter and request it. And I would imagine that Opil won't just be out there by the ibuprofen, but you will need to request it from the pharmacy. But may not have to have a doctor or any kind of practitioner, nurse, anybody prescribe it. It's certainly revolutionary in the sense we really haven't seen this before. How does the Opil work? It's a little different than the classic birth control pills that we all think about. The Opil only has progestin in it. A lot of the birth control pill you've gotten from your practitioner is generally a combination, a form of estrogen called ethanol estradiol and a progestin, which is a synthetic progesterone. And in fact, believe it or not, despite the fact that it's a synthetic progesterone, a lot of them are along the lines of androgens. They can actually bind to androgen receptors, but we'll get into that later. When you take your birth control pill every day, you're getting a tiny little bit of ethanol estradiol and this synthetic progestin, whereas the O-pill has all of that synthetic estrogen, the ethanol estradiol taken out, and it leaves you with just the synthetic progesterone known as a progestin, and in this case, it's our norgestrel. What makes it nice is that you don't have that extra estrogen in there, but what makes it hard in the way that the birth control pill works is that you take that progestin every day, and it tells your brain basically to shut down. It's like, hey, I got this. You don't need to do anything. Don't ovulate. Don't release an egg. Shuts everything down. So your own estrogen, your own progesterone, your own egg, none of that happens, and this birth control pill takes over, which is wonderful being over-the-counter for people who maybe don't have a practitioner, can't get to some sort of clinic, they don't have insurance, they don't have a lot of options. And what's really wonderful for this sort of autonomy that we can make these choices and go get it. The downside is, and I know we'll get into it, are, of course, nothing is without side effects. One of the big side effects of the O-pill or a progestin-only pill, some people may know it as a mini pill in other places, Let's say it's very high maintenance. It's very particular. You want to take it at the same time every day because when you miss out on that ethanol estradiol, then you're more sensitive to just only having the amount of progestin in your body. If you're somebody who's like, I just take pills when I remember. So if you're like, sometimes I take them and then I wake up and sometimes I forget all day. So I take them at dinner. That swing and when you take it means you're more prone to break your bleeding or ovulating, getting your period sooner than you thought, getting some side effects. When it comes to the Opel, I'm really excited for women's autonomy issues and women's health issues. The option is there, but I'm sure it will come with a warning sheet, a how-to sheet, a whole instruction kit on how to take it. I'm glad you're here talking to us, though, because I think that's what a lot of doctors want to make sure happens before people start this pill is that they're informed. Because usually when you have a conversation with your doctor and you get prescribed birth control, they can talk you through potential side effects, what you need to consider, and they help you work through which type of birth control is going to be a good fit depending on how good you are taking pills, what stage of life you're in. So I want to clarify something. If you're someone who, like, you take your pill at 6 a.m., but you miss two days with the O-pill, it seems that would really affect its ability to work as contraception. A hundred percent. And a lot of people will probably be taking it as contraception. If you go to your practitioner or go to a clinic, hopefully, they will tell you it's going to take a couple weeks to kick in. It's not like, hey, today is Monday. You're going to get prescribed a pill pack. You take your first pill on Monday and poof, you are magically protected. You've got that 99 point sum protection from pregnancy if you're not looking to get pregnant, of course. But if you miss a couple of days or even sometimes in some people a full 12, 14 hours, you're less protected. So it takes a couple weeks for the protection to kick in. 
some, a lot even advocate for a full month, do a full month, but I've seen, I've had a lot of sort of old school nurse practitioners and doctors and stuff who are like, nope, after two weeks, you're probably pretty good. But again, if you are a pill skipper or you're not as good at remembering, then you're going to lose out. Because what happens is now it's not really in your system and it's not shutting down the ability to stop your ovulation. You may pop out an egg. And if you are sexually active where sperm is in the area, then the risk for becoming pregnant happens. It's not good, especially if you're trying to use the pill to prevent pregnancy. It seems like it's a really powerful tool, but you have to use it effectively and you have to use it consistently down to the time of day you take it. (laughs) Yeah. I would always joke if I had a flighty, forgetful, even heavily international traveled person who's constantly crossing big time zones, that can be really hard for them with this type of pill, a progestin-only pill. And what will happen is they'd report back to me and say, I'm having all this breakthrough bleeding. My period is coming sooner than I thought it was. I'm feeling all these symptoms. I feel like a kind of a hormonal roller coaster. You are because one day you have the pill in, again, this progestin-only pill, and then the next day you don't. And then the next day you do, and then it's 12 hours, and then it's two days, and then it's this time zone shift, and probably not the most ideal. I'm glad it's available if you need it. You'd have to be very aware of this. Or just know while you're making the adjustment, barrier method, however that looks, is your friend. A lot of people have heard of birth control, and it's interesting. In the functional medicine sphere, sometimes I think people have a negative association with birth control. So can you talk us through what are the risks around estrogen-containing birth control pills that we aren't going to see with the O pill in the same way as other birth controls that are combination type? Here's what's interesting. The big side effects that when we are evaluating somebody for birth control, the common ones are, are you a smoker? Do you get migraines with aura? Or one is, do you get migraines? And then we further evaluate from that. Do you get a migraine with aura? Aura just means, do you get symptoms that tell you a migraine is coming? Does your smell change? Does your vision change? You get pulsing sensation, you get light sensitive, and then you're like, oh, darn, here comes my migraine. That's what's called an aura. Do you have a history of cancer, breast cancer, endometrial cancer, any kind of estrogen-related cancer? These are some of these big questions that we're asking before you go on the birth control pill. Liver function, high blood pressure, trying to think uncontrolled diabetes, just because these synthetic hormones really can unfortunately affect them for the negative. When you take the ethanol estradiol portion out, you are less at risk for the migraine one specifically. If you do have migraine with aura, they're still going to ask you that question. It's still going to be there, but you're a little bit less at risk. We still know that the progestin alone does may still have risk for things like high blood pressure or for even uncontrolled diabetes. We're still history of breast cancer, even in hormone replacement therapy, like menopausal women, it was the progestin addition to estrogen that gave us pause when we were looking at menopausal women. Was that the same case in the birth control pill? It's a very tiny amount, and so it could be very different. Some of those side effects that we don't have to worry about when the estrogen's added in, that it's really small. You're still going to see those same warnings. When I've read the write-up on the O-pill, it's like, oh, it looks just the exact same as somebody who would be on an estrogen progestin pill. It's still not a get out of jail free card with no side effects, but we may be a little less concerned about the migraine with aura part. Good to know. So you still have to consider that stuff before you take over-the-counter birth control pill. This isn't going to come out for a while. How would you recommend that someone go about trying to add this to their routine? Part of what I'm thinking is you should probably still schedule with your OBGYN to talk this through if you're planning to try it since you have a few months to think about it. What would you tell someone to do starting today? I think that's a great idea, especially 
again, we want accessibility, we want availability, we want autonomy. If you are somebody listening to this and you have some sort of practitioner, you have somebody you see on the regular, or maybe it's been a minute, you haven't had a pap in a while, you haven't had a physical in a while, you are on a birth control, but you're thinking, gosh, an over-the-counter version would be really easy and convenient versus having to contact my doctor's office all the time. Now is the time to make that appointment. I 100% agree with you. Go in, get a physical, reestablish care, or get a pap if it's been a hot minute. Talk to your practitioner about, hey, look, when this comes out, I feel like this would be a good option for me. Can we switch me to this form already? So I'm already, which again is called, now by prescription is called a mini pill. Can we switch me to the mini pill? Do you think that's a good option for me? What contraindications, or if you're listening to this, like, oh my gosh, I am super forgetful. And we're not judging, we're just pointing out. If you're like, oh, I'm super forgetful, I don't never take pills at the right time, or I'm constantly changing time zones, maybe this isn't the right pill for you. But if you're still really curious, please go talk to your practitioner now. So when it does come out in theory in 2024, then you'll be all set and ready to go. Or if you're somebody who's considering birth control, just in general, or you're not sure, or maybe you're some sort of health or situational thing where you're like, next year, that might be a really great option for me. Go in and make an appointment so you can get all those quirks and kinks worked out. And then when it does become over the counter, you're ready to go. I love that. And I think that's personally why I was excited that this is being made more accessible is partly because there are really long wait lists to get into specialists around the country. I was thinking for access for clients to be able to just not have to see their doc all the time because maybe they can't get in more than a few times a year. Guys, be proactive. Go make that appointment and start to have this conversation now so that you are able to take advantage of this in a really safe and awesome and empowering way if it's appropriate for you. Yeah. With the side effects that people might experience, even if it's as simple as some bloating, tell us what can happen when you take the OFA. What should you look out for and what might be normal? But let's plan ahead. Yes. And in fact, this can apply to any birth control pill. So what I always tell the women who are put on the birth control pill, I'm like, if anything changes from your GI tract, you said bloating, that is a big one. Gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea. Anything changes in the headache world, whether you never had headaches and now you're getting headaches or you've had headaches and all of a sudden your headaches are getting worse or more frequently, I need to know this. If your mood is getting worse, if you're feeling more depressed, more anxious, you can't pinpoint it or you just feel more sensitive, or maybe you don't know how to describe it, but you're like, I just feel hormonal and I don't understand because I'm on this birth control. I don't feel like I should be so hormonal, so anxious or depressed, low mood, et cetera. Skin or hair changes. I've had people tell me they went on a birth control pill thinking it would help their skin get better. And after several months or maybe even a year, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm breaking out all the time. I'm having these weird skin issues. We would switch their pill or they would maybe for whatever reason decide to go off the pill and their skin changes would get better, their hair loss would improve. And again, I am telling you all the options for side effects. I had a lot of patients who had no issue with birth control pill, loved it, stayed on it, did well. Don't think that I'm telling you this is an absolute, but I don't want you to come on the O-pill blindly and then think, why is my hair greasy? Why am I losing hair? Or Why do I suddenly feel bloated all the time? Why am I more depressed in 2024 than I was in 2023? And I feel like nothing really changed other than I started this O-pill. Libido, if libido goes down. Now, the progestin-only pill has less risk for loss of libido because it's the estrogenic part. The other birth control pills, believe it or not, that tend to change the testosterone in your body. However, a synthetic hormone and affecting, shutting things down so that you don't get pregnant who knows how it's going to affect you? It could absolutely negatively 
impact your libido. Weight gain. I have seen women on the birth control pill of all types feel like they're gaining weight and they haven't changed anything or done anything. Not all women, of course, but I have heard it enough that we have to talk about it. And so really it's anything where you're thinking to yourself, what changed? What have I done differently? What's new in my life? And with the pill, I've seen over and over again, and you may see this too, it doesn't have to be within the first two weeks to two months. I will commonly see that where practitioners will say, oh, if it's a year later, it's probably not the pill. It could be. I absolutely have had enough patients choose to go off the pill or switch pill types or switch to something on IUD and their symptoms greatly improved. Maybe it was just a slow wear down process. It did take a year for them to really notice, gosh, my depression is really bad. Or they did take a year for them to notice, gosh, my digestive stuff is, I got told I have IBS out of nowhere. I don't understand where this is coming from. Just because it hadn't happened in two weeks of starting it doesn't mean it won't kick in later. And I just like to give that feedback because again, I've just had hundreds of thousands of women who've just given me this information. And I thought if it happened to an end of one, one person, I'm going to pass it on because I would hate for anyone listening to this, get gaslit or get told it's not possible when later in life they choose, you know what, I'm just going to stop the pill and see what happens. And that symptom went away and they could have maybe addressed that years ago. Be aware there is no zero risk, zero side effect, anything. And talk to the practitioner. Yeah. When symptoms come up. It sounds like it's a good idea for people to just have a follow-up appointment with their doctor after they start the O-pill to just make sure everything is going smoothly. Even though it wasn't over the counter with any birth control pill, I would often have women come in usually in the three to four month mark, which again, I know accessibility and budget may not work for that, but at least yearly, I'm like, hey, look, I'm going to see you hopefully at least yearly for some sort of physical and checkpoint. And back then when it was all prescription only, it was great because then I could touch base and I would ask him these questions. Is this worse? Is this worse? Is this worse? Have you noticed this? And then we could go through that. And with the O-pill, your practitioner may not know you started it because you took charge of your health, decided to go to the pharmacy and pick it up. When you go in for your physical, make sure you remember like, oh yeah, I'm on the birth control pill. Because the pharmacy is not going to tell your doctor. It's just if you went and picked up ibuprofen, nobody tells your doctor you picked up ibuprofen. That's between you and the cash register. So make sure you actually tell them, oh, you know what? It's in 2024, I started taking the O-pill. So that they can then check in. Do you need custom blood work? Do you need some routine stuff? Do you need questions to know this? If you have somebody, it is a good idea. Is it a requirement? No, of course not. But if you have somebody, it is nice to have. Well, let's just have eyes on you. It sounds like optimal for me would be what I would foresee myself telling patients is have an appointment now before it becomes available over the counter where you talk with your doc about it and then have a follow-up pretty soon after you decide to start it. If you and your doctor decide it's going to be right for you so you can check on this stuff because there are some things that you can do to reduce the risk of side effects of birth control. And as a naturopathic doctor and a women's health expert, I know that you have helped so many people with those things. So what are some tips and tricks that people should know about that they can do to help reduce side effects with birth control? Don't start smoking, (laughs) which is a big one. Don't start smoking. Huge for the birth control pill. Two, and a lot of pharmacists know this information. I wish it was much more public knowledge. The birth control pill in general, any birth control pill, depletes a lot of vitamins, minerals, and nutrients in our body. It's like a multivitamins worth. It's like most all the B vitamins, most all of your minerals, If you pick up the birth control pill or you're on it right now of any kind and you're not on some sort of multivitamin or B-complex or something, it is something to consider. Talk to your pharmacist about when you go get that refill. 
talk to your practitioner when you go back in like, hey, you know what? I've heard the pill can deplete a lot of things. Is that true? And should I be on a multi? Because it's very true. They put it in their white paper published and stuff. And it's just that information doesn't always get told to everybody Mm -hmm. else, which is unfortunate. One of the other things that I tell people is we do know, sort of mark, start paying attention to your symptoms now. So if you're already struggling with depression and anxiety now, hopefully you're getting help with that. But at least know where you're at in some sort of ranking system. Before you go on the pill, are you a five out of 10? Are you an eight out of 10? Are you a one out of 10? And it's same with if you're like, hey, Carrie, you're already bloating. Oh my gosh, where are you? So if you go on the pill and you are trying to evaluate, I've had bloating or I've had anxiety, how much worse is it comparatively? And so that can help you get an idea of, oh my gosh, before the pill, I was a low grade three or four all the time. Mm-hmm. And now I'm constantly a seven or eight. We should probably do something about that. And the same goes for, like I said, gut health stuff, skin stuff, really just do a little check-in, not hard, doesn't take a lot of time, but before you decide to go on the O-pill next year, do a little check-in with yourself, talk to the pharmacist of, hey, I heard the pill depletes a multivitamin, should I get a multivitamin? Don't take up smoking, be very careful of that stuff. And multivitamins come in gummies now, guys. <laughs> they can be fun to take. It doesn't have to They stay. can, just be very careful. They can, sometimes those gums put a boatload of sugar in there and that's probably not what you are looking mm. for your health either. <laughs> They're so good, Dr. Carey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they are fun, that's for yes, sure. they are. And it sounds like if you're already having issues that you know the pill can affect, get out of them now. Yeah. So don't go into taking a new medication with the gut issues, with the mood issues. Start therapy, start seeing a naturopathic doctor, get those taken care of. So then when you add the pill on top, you just reduce your risk for the kind of getting pushed over the edge with those side effects. Yeah. You talk about the gut a lot with hormones. And I just want to ask, why does the gut matter for hormonal health? It's part of the exit plan for hormones. Actually, your GI tract, your gut health is the exit plan for a lot of things. Anything you eat, breathe, drink, or swallow, of course, comes through. A lot of it goes through your liver. So your liver processing is really important, which even goes to, if you're going to take the birth control pill, what other medications are you on? Are you a regular user of Tylenol, which is acetaminophen? That's really hard on the liver. Are you a regular alcohol drinker? As in every day, a couple of drinks, that's really hard on the liver. And all these things, including this new birth control pill, is going to be going through the liver. Then it can either go through the kidneys. You can urinate the rest of it out, exit plan. Or it can go through the intestines and you can poop it out as part of the exit plan. With the estrogen and the progestin, as the birth control pill is getting broken down, it can shift the microbiome in some women for the worse. And so all your little gut microbiome, your good bugs, good and bad bugs that are in there, if they shift to the worse, now you may feel more bloating. You may feel, again, that your gut health and your brain health are very tied together. And so more depressed, more anxious. And if you can't get it out, if the exit plan isn't working, it can get absorbed back into the body and recirculate in some cases. And so they're doing some really interesting research, things that you and I would maybe geek out on how if you're struggling with constipation and can't get things out, then of course the trash, some of that trash can get reabsorbed in the body. Not fun to geek out on if you're the actual person experiencing it. You're the person who's like, that's me. I feel constipated all the time. I'm bloated and I feel extra hormonal and I don't know why that can be part of the issue. And now when you have an upset, inflamed, irritated gut, it just affects, it affects your immune system, it affects your brain health, it affects everything. And you get all these symptoms and you're looking around going, I don't know where it started. I don't know how it started. And this could be one of the links to how it started. So it sounds like if you're constipated, you may not get rid of 
the pill byproducts effectively. Your liver breaks down. Annie, we're talking about the pill today, of course, but when you break down any kind of chemical, when you're breaking down your actual hormones, your actual testosterone, your actual progesterone, a lot of that goes through your GI tract. Not all of it, but a lot of it can. But if it can't, then it can kind of like a bathtub that overflows and it just comes pouring right back into your house, ruins your bathroom. The mm. same effect can happen. And what's really interesting is that your GI tract, this microbiome, is make exploded in the literature. There's a lot of researchers, a lot of funding going to the health of our microbiome and linking it to all sorts of hormonal things and brain things and immune system things and autoimmune things. And that includes stuff like this, everything from hormones, birth control pill, all the way up to even environmental chemicals and how they're impacting us as women. And so I'm psyched for the research, but also... That means we have to translate it down to our patients and go, yeah. okay, we have to watch out for this. We have to be careful and mind our gut, mind our liver. Yeah. Okay. Someone had constipation. They should fix it before they start taking this O-pill. I, they probably want to <laughs> fix it anyway. Yes. No matter what they do. <laughs> You're it's so right funny. In general. I feel like some people don't mind it. I routinely talk to people and ask them how often they poop. It's like a naturopathic doctor question in your intake. And people are like, I don't know, every three days. And I'm like, whoa, for reference at home, everyone, you're supposed to have at least one fully formed, solid, easy to pass bowel movement every single day, at least one, maybe two. Every day. Every day. Yes. And any less than that is constipation. If you're at home and you're listening and you're going, oh, shoot, that's not me. (laughs) Clean up your gut, get things moving so that you're less likely to experience side effects. I would say side effects isn't really even the right word here. It's that you're not eliminating this pill and the way it's designed to be eliminated when we look at studies and we look at how quickly is this byproduct of this pill supposed to leave the body. Yeah. When your body isn't operating that way, you're more likely to just not feel well on the pill because it's not breaking down or being eliminated correctly. Some easy things you can do to help with constipation, drinking more water, making sure you're consuming enough minerals and fiber, moving. I've seen so many folks who sit all day and all we have to do is get them walking 5,000 steps a day and they're able to have a bowel movement because part of the way we move food through our GI tract is not only with fluid, when you drink, that helps stimulate peristalsis, but also just vibration of movement when you take a walk, gets things moving. So small things like that. What are other things, Dr. Carey? What am I missing? <laughs> For bowel, I was going to say one of the big things, I don't know if you noticed this, but through the pandemic and everybody was work from home, they went from laying down to up a little bit in the morning to sitting at their desk all day to sitting at the dinner table, maybe, or sitting on the couch, to back to bed, and movement just completely plummeted. And as a result, all sorts of side effects. People were like, oh my gosh, I haven't even walked a thousand steps. I like go shuffle from my kitchen to my desk and back to the couch and back to bed again. And I thought, no, we can't do that. For some people, fiber can be really helpful. Our fruits and our veggies, eating the rainbow. Of course, for some people, fiber can be a little bit irritating. But if that's not a diet you typically consume, you're more of a maybe packaged food or fast food, you may find when you switch and add, go slow, <laughs> adding in extra fiber, fruits and vegetables can make a big impact. You mentioned minerals, a big mineral, of course, being magnesium. And I have to be careful, certain forms of magnesium, like magnesium oxide and citrate, they're really helpful for constipation. They will get things moving. So if you hit that loose stool point, it's too much magnesium, back off and do lesser of a dose. I've definitely seen improvements with even just belly massage, A lot of people don't even like to touch their own belly, but when you're applying lotion, if you apply lotion, just remember to do some circles on your belly. And so you want to make sure when you massage, because it's your hands down on your belly, you want to make sure you come up your right side first and then around and down to your left side. So come up the right side down because that's the way you actually 
anatomically move. And so even just when you're applying lotion, make those circles on your belly and try to get that stimulated. If it's been a hot minute since you've had any kind of blood work, even things like your thyroid, have your thyroid evaluated. Slow thyroids, slow down digestion, slows everything down. And I've seen a lot of women over the years who go, I just all of a sudden, I used to have regular bowel movements and now I'm constipated all the time. And lo and behold, they had the other symptoms too. They were dry skin or dry hair, losing their hair. Periods were getting a little heavier, weird, gaining some weight. And then poof, we ran a blood test and it turned out they actually were hypothyroid. And so constipation is one of the keynotes for hypothyroidism. So be careful with that. Fascinating. So guys, your list is growing. Like appointment with your doctor (laughs) before the end of the year, some lab work. If you've got constipation, you got to fix it. You got to see your doc, run some labs, maybe talk to an RD about how you get more fiber in your diet. Register dietitian. Your insurance probably covers it, people at home. Or you could just Google it. There's a lot of foods that are really high in fiber. You don't have to use Metamucil, which is what most of my clients would think. As soon as I said fiber, they would think, oh, that orange stuff that I need to put in my water, which some of my clients really like how that tastes, but some do not. But no, it's like keep some berries on your desk. Keep some nuts and seeds. Keep some baby carrots and some hummus. Any fruit, vegetable, nut, or seed is going to generally be high in fiber. I would have my folks switch out wheat pasta for lentil pasta because it's really high in minerals, as, including potassium, which helps get the bowels moving, and fiber, as well as protein. It's the wonder food, I swear to God. This is my favorite superfood, lentil pasta. Who would have thought? So yeah, get ahead of that now so that you can take advantage of this really cool advance in medicine without potentially the side effects you might have if you go into this without having addressed any of this. Okay, I'm going to ask you a few more questions. In school, I was taught that the mini pill was actually a really good option for women who are breastfeeding. And so I wanted to ask for somebody at home who maybe is pregnant right now and is already thinking, in 2024, I won't be pregnant anymore. I'm going to have my baby. Is this something that I could even consider? What's the conversation you would have with those folks about this? Yeah, the mini pill, they don't want that extra estrogen. So they do the mini pill, the progestin-only pill, or they'll do the progestin-only IUD. They have two IUD options, of course, the copper and the progestin, but progestin is often what they do with breastfeeding. So it is an option. Yeah. All right. Somebody at home who maybe has a teenager or a preteen, I want to talk to them. (laughs) Your kid is probably not going to come and ask you about the O-pill. Yeah. But they are going to be talking to their friends. And so what can a mom of a teen or preteen do to help their kid get the right information about this and make the right decisions, even if their kid might not be involving them? Because your kid can go to Rite Aid without you now and get this starting next year. Your kid can. And depending on the state that you're in, they can even as young as 14. So the state that I practice, and I believe it's 14, that you don't need a parent's anything. You can go and be proactive about your sexual health. And having on one open communication is awesome as best you can. I know sometimes it's awkward. And my kids are in their early 20s. They're 21 and just turned 24. But my best friend's daughter is 15. My other best friend's son is 18. And so we had these conversations because the kids were getting older and getting into that age range. So my kids are my uh, stepkids, my bonus kids. And I remember talking to their mom and she's, oh yeah, we have regular open conversations as much as we can about sex. I'm like, me too, because the kids were like, you're a doctor. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you that. They're always so curious, which is great. And my patients who were teenagers kick the parents out and be like, all right, protected by law. What do you want to know? And if you can have communication as much as you can, the better. If not, suggest this podcast. (laughs) 
be like, all right, I know it's embarrassing. I know you don't want to talk to me about it. I know you think you can learn everything off TikTok, but the reality is you can't from other teenagers. So if you can actually listen to two doctors who are having this conversation, that way you can make educated choices that if you have side effects, you need to know about this. It's not a perfect no side effect option. We're glad it's available, but it does come with a host of like, dang it, for some women. For some women, it can be very detrimental to their health. There's a lot of post-birth control stuff you will see on the internet that's not great. It's not healthy. It's not good for these women. So for a teenager, though, they don't generally care. They're just like, I'm trying not to get pregnant in a lot of cases. And so it definitely starts with communication. And if they won't talk to you, schedule them with, depending on their age, their pediatrician or their primary care or your OBGYN and just say, can you educate them? Can you give them a little lowdown on the different types of birth control, on barrier method, on sexually transmitted infections, STIs? Because remember the birth control pill, none of them protect against sexually transmitted infections. A young teenager may not realize that. They may be thinking, I'm going to get on the pill. I'm going to be protected from everything. I don't want a baby. And unfortunately, that may not always work for them. And so even scheduling them to go, hey, let's get your back to school physical. Oh, you're due for a physical now. You're having a blood work ever as a teenager. It's time to go. And then make sure that maybe somebody in the healthcare setting can talk with them. And I know it can be hard. I know it can be awkward. If your teen has a friend and as in like your best friend, your aunt, your sister, somebody, their best friend's mom that you totally trust, whoever can have that conversation with them really openly and honestly, I think is key. And the more it becomes normalized, this should not be anything we should be embarrassed about. I know it is embarrassing to them because everything's embarrassing to a teenager, although less so with social media. But I feel like the more we can normalize this, that these are every generation has gone through this. Every generation deals with birth control options, dealing with preventing pregnancy, which is probably the biggest thing this is going to be used for as opposed to symptom management. I could be wrong, but we'll see. The more we can talk about it openly, then that way when it becomes over the counter, everyone collectively is aware. Like, all right, I want 15 and 16 year olds to know, hey, if you start getting migraines with flashing lights, you need to tell somebody ASAP and stop that pill. Hey, you should probably take a multivitamin. I know you're young, but it's not a perfect pill. I need you to be protected at this young age as you're growing and going through puberty. Is it ideal? No, but unfortunately, there's no ideal out there. There's no switch. There's no button I can press. There's no off code we can do to turn off this stuff. These are unfortunately the options we have right now. I know that a lot of pushback is like, we'll just do family planning. I haven't met a 14, 15, 16-year-old. I haven't met a whole lot of anybody that are even, I have a lot of patients in their 20s, 30s, 40s who are like, I don't know how to do family planning. I don't have the patience for family planning. We have to have options. We have to include everybody. And this is a way to include everybody. Lisa Demore is a PhD. I adore her work. She works a lot with teenage girls. She's a phenomenal book. If you guys haven't read it, it's called Untangled, Guiding Teenage Girls Through the Seven Transitions into Adulthood. It changed my life reading it as a practitioner and as someone who works with a lot of teen girls. And a lot of my parents really love this book. But one of the things she says is, go ahead and have the uncomfortable conversation and just own that it's going to be uncomfortable. And you can just sit down with your kid and say, hey, this is going to be really awkward, but we got to talk about this. I'm doing this because I love you. Part of me is feeling super awkward about this, and I'm sure you are too. Let's try to get through this together. And I thought that was such a sweet way of framing that conversation and owning that as uncomfortable as they feel, you might feel uncomfortable talking about this stuff too. And it's okay. And to say it's important enough for us to do this anyway, even though we are both going to feel uncomfortable. You can also talk to your kids about their friends. 
you can say, if you're not comfy enough being like, hey, let's talk about your sexual health, what you could say is, first of all, I've made an appointment for you to discuss sexual health with your physician. You do not need to talk about anything during this appointment. You can talk about soccer. I don't care. But I made you an appointment, 15 minutes for you to check in with your doctor. Not during your sports physical because they don't have time. Not during your like TB check because it's not going to happen. The doc doesn't have the time. But every year you're going to get this appointment with your doctor starting at 11 years old till whenever you have your own doc. And I'm going to make that available for you. But we're going to have this conversation because you're going to have friends who have questions about this. And so I want to make sure you're armed with the answers and that you can tell your friend who vapes a lot that they need to be careful about the birth control pill and they need to talk with their physician before they take it because it could have deadly consequences for them. Something as simple as that I think teenagers may not know. And so really coming at it from the stance of, let me empower you to be an educator for your friends might be a more comfortable way for you to chat with your teen about it. And I think making sure that they know that this is not plan B. So tell us, Dr. Carey, what's the difference? The plan B is basically, it's like a single, you take it, it's 1.75 of the progestin, and it's a big dose, it's a walloping dose to prevent the egg from being released. So if you had an oops moment, an unprotected moment, things happen, then plan B just helps stop the egg from getting out so that it can't meet any potential sperm so that you don't have anything growing. No pregnancy. Whereas the birth control pill is an itty bitty tiny dose of progestin, like 0.07 or 0.075 every single day. And it's enough to tell the brain every day when done consistently, which is why they say, especially with the mini pill, more like a month, you need a full month on it before the brain finally gets the message of, oh, don't ovulate. Okay. And so it will shut down ovulation. So the plan B, big walloping dose in the moment, stops you from releasing the egg, closes the gate so that the sperm can't get up there and meet it. Whereas birth control pill, you have to do consistently every day over time, and that way it'll control your cycle, so to speak. If you have an oops moment and you run to the pharmacy when this is available and you buy the O pill by mistake, it is not plan B. Like I said, in a lot of cases, it's probably going to take a full month, depending on your use, user error, to kick in, whereas plan B is different. Plan B is a big walloping dose once to stop ovulation. Got it. So O-pill is a type of plan A. I love that. Yes. I think we should call it plan A, plan B, plan C. We have a lot of different plans and I wish we labeled them that. Plan A is this is my plan to have contraception. And this is what I do every day to make that happen. Plan B is whoops, something happened. Plan A didn't work. Plan A didn't work. Being clear with your kiddos, like your teens, that the O-pill is plan A. It is not for a whoops. It is not for an emergency. And making sure, again, that they're really empowered to talk with their doctor about this. This isn't about plan B, and we're not going to talk about it, but I just want to make sure that people at home know that the O-pill is very different. So thank you for clarifying that. It is very different. One other thing I want to touch on, too, just as far as confusion and clarifying are that, like I said earlier, contraception is probably the big thing that people will do over the counter the O-pill for. But we know, you and I know, that a lot of women use the birth control pill for other things. They use it Mm -hmm. for cramps. They use it for PMS. They use it for, in severe cases, endometriosis. I don't know that the O-pill will be strong enough for certain endometriosis, but totally possible. Adenomyosis, cyst development. There's a lot of reasons that women go on the birth control pill besides contraception to prevent a pregnancy. I just want to throw it out there if that some women don't know that there are other options. Hopefully you're listening to the Root Cause Medicine podcast and know that there are a lot of other options for hormone management besides here going this birth control pill because that's just covering it up 
versus getting to the root cause, hence the name of the podcast, and to figure out why do you have cramps? Why do you have bad PMS? Why are your periods heavy, et cetera, et cetera, versus using the pill as it was designed for, which is contraception purposes. If you are listening to this thinking, no, I'm going to go on the O-pill because my cramps are really bad. Dr. Kate and I would just throw it out there. would like to know why your cramps are bad. But it's not a deficiency in the O-pill. I can tell you that. Yeah. You don't have a progestin deficiency. Now you may have a progesterone deficiency. But let's figure that out. You may not ovulate. You may have histamine issues. You may have mineral deficiencies. You may have some structural stuff we got to work on, right? There's a lot of reasons for cramps as my example. So I'm going to casually throw that out there if you're listening to this going, oh, I can't wait to have it over the counter so that I can continue to manage these symptoms that nobody told me there might be other options. There could be other options. And we have podcasts on this, guys, like previous episodes about period health. Go follow Dr. Carrie because she's posting about women's health and hormonal health all the time. So you get a free PhD if you just follow her on Instagram, basically, <laughs> honestly, in this stuff. On the podcast, we've had some amazing women's health guests all the way from young age. Dr. Allison McAllister took us through all the decades. So if you have a teen, she's going to talk about it. All the way straight up into menopause, we have Dr. Lakeisha who talks about HRT and menopause. So hormones at all the levels we cover on this podcast. Yeah, I think an important piece of history here that I just want to mention, because a lot of people don't know this, is that they hear about side effects with birth control and they think, how did this even get approved? Or they're focused on all the side effects of birth control. And part of how birth control got FDA approval was that the risks of birth control are less than the risks of pregnancy. So we have a stroke risk associated with pregnancy because your hormones are really high if you get pregnant. There are a lot of health risks with pregnancy. And so comparatively, birth control actually has less risks. And that's why it was approved. That's actually why it's so hard to get a male birth control approved because you cannot weigh it against the risks of pregnancy. As we're talking about that, I feel like that's a really important context to have. It tends to shock my clients and they're like, oh, that makes so much sense. I'd never really thought about that. So while we're educating you about the potential risks and side effects, because we want you to be really educated and empowered, I don't mean to make it seem like birth control is this thing that has a ton of side effects and you like it. I don't want to paint it in a negative light. It can be life-saving for a lot of people. Yeah, people are really surprised when I'm not an absolute advocate against it because I know in some cases, some women, it is absolutely the side effects have been detrimental. The side effects have been massive. There are now books out there written on how to recover from being on side effects of the birth control pill. But there are also a whole slew of women who've had zero side effects to their knowledge being on the birth control. They felt great, looked great, did great, shined great. And they're looking at it, they're like, I don't know what the issue is. It's just the same as if somebody's allergic to penicillin. You would mm-hmm. hate penicillin. You would damn penicillin. You'd want penicillin blocked. Like, why would you give penicillin? It causes a reaction in me. Yeah. But yet, I'm not allergic to penicillin. I do just fine with penicillin. Right. Then it could be life-saving to me. Yes, you and I, we fully realize that the pill is not perfect. It can absolutely come with side effects, but it also could really completely impact for the better somebody's life. If you don't want to be pregnant and this is your option and it's over the counter, you don't have the funds, the means, insurance to go to a clinic, to a doctor, even if it's just for a couple months or it's been years, then this is a great option for you. We want you educated. Yeah, I don't want you stumbling around. Somebody saying, oh, can't be that. It's not possible. That's the only side effects are migraine or major migraine or stroke, as you said. Some of these big things. When you're like, gosh, I'm getting more and more anxious. I'm getting more and more depressed. I don't understand what's going on or all these GI symptoms. I don't know what's going on. 
you're going to listen to us and go, oh, you know what? That started about six months after I started the pill. I wonder if it's the pill. So if it's you, we just want you educated. We know it's not perfect, but it's an option. So we're going to talk about it. Let's give people some resources to learn a little bit more about this. So maybe they hang up that listening to this podcast. I know bedsider.org is a great one that I used to recommend to my clients to help. It has little interactive tables to help them compare different types of birth control, type in what they want it for. What would you advise someone to do as a next step after this podcast if they are interested in the OPIL? Honestly, going to the OPIL site itself or going to the FDA information on the OPIL. And honestly, if you just Google search OPIL, you're going to see the FDA release. We're going to see a number of big name hospitals, John Hopkins, Rutgers, et cetera, UCLA, that have put out information on the OPIL. And it's the information is generally designed for people, the average consumer who has a lot of questions. Go read it yourself. Go make sure you understand what the side effects are, when it's coming out, what to expect. Definitely talk to your practitioner because you want to be armed and empowered as opposed to feeling helpless. We don't want you helpless. We want you very educated about this, that this is a decision for you. I would look it up and read some of those articles online so you know. Love it. Thank you, Dr. Carrie Jones, for joining us for this special episode on the O-Pill today. Thank you. My gosh, I'm so glad we got to talk about it. And I'll be real curious when it actually does come out in 2024. We'll have to have a circle back conversation so that we can tell people how it's being dispensed and what's going on. Absolutely. And we'll see you next time on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you loved today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? Our whole goal is bringing this education to the people who need it. And positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing and we so appreciate it. We'll catch you next time on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast.